The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. The two-man power trip of wrestling for another edition of Who Is? I am your host, JP John Paws. With me today is the second man in the booth, the doctor himself, Mr. J. Michael Jargo. Jargo, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm just happy to make my re-debut here on the two-man power trip. It's been all of a week since I was on the, on the airwaves here. We had a great show last week. I think this one's going to be a lot of fun, too. Looking forward to it, as always. Thank you for having me, Mr. Paws. Of course, the third man in the booth, Mr. TMPT, Mr. HMG, Mr. RBV. Rick, what's going on? How are you doing today? Oh, my God. What is he doing in the impact zone? Hey, I'm looking forward to this one, gentlemen. Uh, big debuts, maybe re-debuts, relocations, whatever the case might be. Uh, but those surprise moments, those uh, kind of the playoff last week, you know, that big pop. Yes. Uh, as somebody finds a new home, is introduced to a new area. But, uh, yes. Uh, awesome to be back here again with you, Paz, and you, Jargo, and I'm ready to jump on into this one. You know what's funny is it's I, everybody knows that line. What is so-and-so doing in the impact zone? And there's not one of them that made my list. <laughs> what about Macho Man? Oh, yeah. It's just, it, it's just crazy. Like, they, the, the re-debut in itself for Impact Wrestling, like, became its own thing. Is it, is it become, like, before memes were a theme? It was just, like, the, the original right. meme of... <laughs> pro wrestling pretty That's much pretty yes so obviously this was kind of predicated it off of the pop episode because we were naming a few debuts that had big pops i'm like oh, we should just do best debut and, and who is the best debut and then of course kind of backtracking the last week for a second put up the twitter poll steve austin ended up winning biggest pop i don't know if you guys were surprised by that at all what really surprised me is who got last place of the four listed, and it was kind of overwhelmingly that they were trailing was the Road Warriors. Uh, but then I kind of, you know, how we described it, maybe it was simply because their pops were so regular and so across the board. Which is insane. Much evenly, they normalized, evenly they normalized yeah. gigantic pops. Yeah, yeah they, they, that was just a normal pop for them as opposed to what we've seen from other individuals. So I, I'm going to give it to our listeners you know, to, to our crew that runs with us there, that that's the reasoning. But I, I was a little shocked when I saw that right away. The only thing I'm going to say about the poll is the same thing I say about all the polls. Listen to the episode 
then respond to the poll so at least you know the parameters right because right, course, you know like course. if you're talking sustained pops yeah the road warriors would have won but we were talking about a one-off pop you gotta listen to the shows i live through hogan austin pops they're kind of neck and neck to me so i didn't mind austin winning but to me those are the two guys when I think of, and Road Warriors, of course, too, but really living it and being to, at so many shows that Hogan headline and Austin headline, those are like the the measuring sticks, if you will, of like the gigantic pops of being super over and being over. Not like John Cena over where half the crowd booing, half the crowd cheering, that kind of bullshit, and you're the top baby face. I'm talking legitimate, top of the card, you're the man, giant pops. Well, we, we kind of always lay out the parameters here and you bring up Punk and how things like kind of came to be for this show. I have Punk on my list for best re-debut at number 10. But this is another one of those instances where he may actually move up after when is all out. Is it Sunday this week? Yes. I fifth. mean, if he yep. goes out there and he has a Shawn Michaels return match against Triple H at SummerSlam, you know, if he goes out there and him and Darby just tear the house down, CM Punk could very easily move up this list. That was an unbelievable debut, though. If you think about it, 20-minute pop, going crazy. They cut the commercial. Then he finally can get to talk because they're going so nuts. That was an awesome debut. One of the ones where I think people are going to go wild go back and watch it over and over again, you know, like they do for some of the other big debuts and big returns and stuff like that. So you can have a debut like punk or it can be a re-debut, something of that nature too. So I just want to throw that out there too. Some parameters for Rick, just in case you can be a yeah, re-debut. I, I, love, I love my parameters. Yeah. Can be a re-debut. So I do feel like the debut is kind of an elongated process too, because it's also kind of, what do you do with the debut? Like, do you have a great debut? And then they're just like, yeah, we don't know what to do with you week two. Or do you go out there and do you just absolutely tear the house down? Like the CM Punk thing? Like, yeah, it was a great pop. It was a good re debut, but how things go on Sunday is absolutely going to affect how we view this entire re debut. And we'll see that that'll be a big thing for AEW with ticket sales and, and ratings and everything else. Let's yep. see how Punk is is done and foreseen. I wouldn't mind. I know this is crazy. I wouldn't mind like a nice little heel turn <laughs> right away because that's his best character. But we'll, I mean, we'll see what they do with him. Hey, I, I firmly supported CM Punk coming out in a suit and telling everybody that he sold out and becoming the corporate champion. I think that would have been hilarious. Hey, still, still time because you, you got that anti-hero out there. Now maybe, uh, I don't know. It'd Turn be, him heel gonna... in Chicago, right? I mean, like, come on. You know the Chicago AEW fans will play along for that. How, how do you do that? Have him come out wearing, like, uh, he's got the Cubs jersey on, but he he, he unveils the back to read Bartman or something, or does he just come out with a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, he was invited to their World Series ceremony a couple years ago. Remember that? It's not a surprise, man. They they yeah. love him some CM Punk up there in Chicago. No, I mean Bartman. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, when they finally broke the curse. Yeah, when they broke the curse. Yeah, they're like, all right, let this guy back in. I, I don't L know, man. He, that, that guy, that guy would probably need more protection than the president going anywhere for him to go back into the state of Illinois. Yeah. So, Rick, there was Punk on your list. Uh, I do have uh, Punk. Uh, I have him in the, my conversations. You know, I do. I, I scatter it around. So, and I, and I like to have the uh, the open conversation before I make my decision. But, uh, and I think what was what was so dynamic about it and so impactful, no pun intended, is 
it's grown so much more difficult to get those big reactions for these debuts because we're conditioned because we hear about it so far in advance. Uh, but with CM Punk, you know, as we kind of hit on last week, the, the way he got that reaction is because it has been mounting for those seven long years. And it's one of those things, even though you know it's coming, you've been wanting it so much, you know, the, that fan base has been wanting it so much for so long, almost nothing was going to take away from it. Uh, but it, but it does make it more difficult with the with the information that we have available to us now and the contract status and people moving. You know, as today as we're sitting here recording September first, I believe there's a handful of former WWE talents who just had their 90 day expire. And, and now you know the conversations and all the circles around the internet wrestling community running wild uh, with where are they going to go? Where could they potentially land now? Eligible. So you know before the contracts became so detailed and so involved. It could have been anytime, anywhere, any place. Uh, and, I, and I hope that we're going to cover um, a, a lot of this going back. To, uh, hopefully, maybe we can cover some stuff from, from the territories as well. So another debut I wanted to talk about that was absolutely huge. Very, very high on my list. Kind of teeter-tottering if it's the best or not. What about when Kane, the big red monster, the devil's favorite demon, really Kane debuts in the WWF. That Hell in a Cell match, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, that bad blood pay-per-view back in 1997. Is Kane's debut the best ever? Kane himself interviewed him a few times. He says it's the best debut ever in wrestling, especially the WWF. But is it the greatest? I think it's absolutely in the conversation, right? I mean, to to me, there is three debuts that really stand out right that are just head and shoulders kind of above everything else i feel like the Kane debut at bad blood is absolutely one of them and as much as you hate to give him credit a lot of that goes on vince because vince was in commentary and vince sold that moment vocally as much as undertaker sold it visually it was it was a perfect debut it's got to be Kane. It's got to be Kane. Yeah. Vince did an awesome job of that. Rick, are you agreeing? It seems like you are. Man, I, I, I have to I have to put it up there and say, I love to talk this out. But it, just jumping in this thing, I got to have it damn near the top of my list uh, debut. If, and if you go back and you could, can kind of put yourself into those moments, I remember where I was at, who I was with, and we went absolutely insane. Now, not just the moment of Vince selling it and, and the body language inside of that ring. Everybody from Sean, you know, the ref. The Undertaker, everyone involved there, uh, but the build to that because remember they had mentioned something that there was a brother coming for months ahead of that, and then they yep. seemingly dropped it. You didn't hear about it. I'm going to say for a good two months, and it was like, okay, maybe they just moved on from this thing. But I mean, it removed it from your memory. So even while you're watching that match, you weren't expecting anything out of, out of the ordinary to happen. And then boom, as soon and that music was so perfect. Uh, the entire stuff to come down and rip the cage off the, you know, rip the door off of the cage, uh, an absolute just behemoth of a monster uh, and go in there and decimate the undertaker. I, it was a, a hell of a way to introduce yourself to the WWE fan base. And I think it was the first time we ever saw the undertaker scared. Like the undertaker was the big scary guy. The undertaker ain't scared of nothing, Yep, but he, he was scared of Kane. Yeah, I mean, you look, I mean, uh, Giant Gonzalez, Yokozuna, I mean, all of these, uh, you know, if it'd be Bam Bam, uh, Mr. Hughes, all of those guys that would be put in his way that were just these larger than life, but the Undertaker would never flinch to them. 
Uh, but this, but now that we see him beginning to counter, and then you're, Jargos, you talked about what happened after that. Remember the great story where Undertaker refused to strike back. Mm-hmm. You know, would not lash out in violence against against his brother. You know, as I think about it, is like the Kane and Undertaker story. Is that the best story that Vince McMahon has ever told? Like longevity wise, like as far as long term storytelling goes, the whole Brothers of Destruction thing, it's really hard to find something better than that. It's really up there. It's one of the best storylines ever, easily. Um, the Mega Powers, obviously, is yeah. which was a long form, is one of the other ones I always think of that were great. But yeah, but even people... that, you're talking, you know, a couple a year. of years. Yeah. Here Three with years, Kane yeah, and really. Taker, I mean, you could really, like, you can draw parallels to those two for 15 years. Yeah. Yep. Connected. And then uh, once again, they'll team and they'll feud and go back and forth. But it always drew for them, or it always was good money for them, top of the card. To me, I think that Kane debut definitely could be number one or, or near the top. Because of, like, okay, you make your debut, it's great. And like Jargo said, what do you do after that? But what do you do in that moment? So, okay, he disrupted that match. He helped Michaels win. That's great. But immediately he's a main eventer. You literally saw him execute one move, basically. And you're like, this guy's a main eventer. Like, immediately. That rarely happens. Very, very rarely in wrestling where a guy could just hit one move or do one thing. And you're like, wow, this guy's, wow, now WWF is another main event guy. As soon as he did that, I was like, wow, okay, now Kane's a main eventer. Okay, you, you. we didn't know really what was going on with, with Brett at the time as far as, like, him being on the way out. But you always had him at the top of the card. Then, okay, you got Undertaker. Okay, you got Michaels. Okay, who else you got? Austin's injured, you know, blah, blah. I was like, wow, this guy, come on, now they got Kane. Wow, holy shit, this guy is, man, this guy's the real deal. He's a main eventer. And, and the thing that was so great about Kane, and, and this is one of those instances where Rick and I completely agree, where the work rate and the character just overlap. Glenn Jacobs was so good inside of the ring. Uh, the, the whole Kane character, people talk about The Undertaker as the greatest gimmick ever. Kane might be the greatest gimmick ever because it was built off of the undertaker and Glenn really made it his own thing. Well, you, you know, he, outside of that debut where immediately it pauses, right. You know, he comes to this main eventer, but then, you know, it, then, you know, it's, it was, where do you go? What is the shelf life is we've seen so many other times with these undertaker opponents, but for Kane to be able to make that work for so long, and they made that thing into quite a, a bit of a joke at certain times, you know, the, the big red retard, uh, you know, the different spins that they put on it, but he continued to embrace it because he is such an incredible worker himself that he wasn't going to to let that character fade, let that persona go. And it absolutely, I mean, look at one of the all-time greats, uh, especially for the big men. And much like Undertaker, he was not only a main eventer, he was somebody that you could have in the main event that he didn't need the title. He didn't even need to be in the title picture. You had another main event that didn't require the championship, which is invaluable to the company. So as far as some other debuts, immediately off the top of my head, I was thinking of some top ones. Kane and Punk were right there, very fresh in my mind. What about Chris Jericho's debut in the WWF? We talked about that last week with getting a gigantic pop. Not only is this an awesome debut just for the fact that, wow, they got Jericho. You're thinking, okay, does the WWF audience know the WCW wrestlers? Do they know Jericho? Yes, they know the top guys. So do they understand and know the mid card and the upper mid card, which is where Jericho kind of squarely was. He couldn't break that glass ceiling. WCW heads over to WWF. Oh, as soon as you see that name turn over and you see Jericho, all you hear is Rah! I mean, huge rush of the crowd. What an awesome debut. Not only is that part awesome, it could end there and be awesome. Then he comes out and cuts that awesome promo. He's first of all, he's interrupting the rock. They do the millennium 
man clock thing, which is awesome because you're like, wait a second, if that's going down and the rocks in the ring, no, it can't be. <laughs> like, it can't go off of the rocks getting a promo. It just felt so awesome and so different and so like anti formulaic, where it's like, nope, Rock would cut a promo. Oh, and then he'd come out afterwards. No, it was perfect. And then the Rock with who the hell are you? His facial expression, he looked like he was about to cry. Him saying, like you mentioned, a jargon, him saying hooventude, which is great. <laughs> which was great and so random of the rock uh you could just tell just awesome with those two guys kind of just going back and forth two of the best ever on the mic i mean there's no doubt about that just the dynamic of it was awesome the pop was awesome jericho's promo is so good it, one of the best debuts if not the best I've got it number one on my list. Um, that that debut number one. I was a Jerichoholic, right? Like I mean, Jericho was how WCW didn't see what everybody else saw in Chris Jericho still baffles me to this day. Um, but you're absolutely right, Pause. And it, it very much like we were talking about with the Kane thing. Immediately, he's established as a main eventer. You're interrupting the Rock. Like, you know, this is going to be a big deal. This is main event because Dwayne's on the screen. If you're going to inject somebody into that, you know, whoever that somebody is, is going to be a big deal. Yeah. And then you're right. I mean, the, the moment was just perfect. The millennium clock, the hype that was building up to it. You do it in Chicago where you've already got a super hot crowd opposite of Dwayne. I mean, it, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's a fantastic debut. I wonder if, you know, now in, you know, retrospect, looking back at it now, absolutely brilliant move, how you set everything up. But, you know, what, what we know about the WWE and how things work behind the scenes, uh, the big political, it's all a test. Can they make, break you? And, I, and I'm wondering here, in that real moment, is it, oh, this is an absolute home run? Or it is, we're going to roll the dice. You know, hey, what are we thinking? You know, Anyone we put out there in the rocks going to immediately going to go to the main event. They're going to be out of the stratosphere. Or is it, dude, you guys are taking a mid-carter from WCW and putting him out there against the rock. This kid's going to fail. I mean, it, it could have been gone either way there. I mean, we could have been having a completely different conversation about Chris Jericho and his career. And it all hinged on that moment. And well, thankfully, and thankfully, it went the way it did. In a way it did, but if, if you really look at Jericho, when he first got to WWF, he really struggled. Like, that opening moment was fantastic, and it's like three months later, he's not even on the pay-per-view card. He got completely lost in the shuffle. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how the WWF system worked, and then he just figured it out. He, he's talked about it. You've heard other people talk about it, but, yeah, there was some resentment because you, you heard the likes of, like, a Triple H. Oh, he's here to save us from what? You know, why are we investing? Why is this guy getting this kind of momentum? And so I guess in certain cases, there was, there was some of that resentment there and such, and you've heard again, regularly from people that have worked for both of those companies. One of the greatest listens to through interviews, Kevin Nash describing the differences in the companies and, and how different they are to work for. And it did take Jericho a little bit of time to kind of figure out those different styles. Now, pause. Jericho is also one that we were talking before we went on air, and I told you I had a couple of guys on my list twice. Chris Jericho is on my list twice, November 5th, 2017. Oh, I had this as well. He when, was the one guy I had twice, yep. When Jericho showed up on the Tron opposite of Kenny Omega, 
and the whole pain maker persona, the, this kind of this final incarnation of Jericho, Jericho working outside of WWE, which nobody thought was ever going to happen, let alone in new Japan against another guy from Winnipeg. I mean, it, it was just crazy, but the, the way that story came together, just that opening entrance video with, Oh my God, that's Chris Jericho on new Japan pro wrestling that it sent shockwaves throughout the pro wrestling world in 2017, which it just does not happen. But Jericho made it happen. Uh, I'm going to see, you know, as we talked about where it may, where maybe in the West, what the promotions we're more familiar with, we have access to, it's a little more difficult, but I'm going to give this one as a benefit to the internet, to social media, because I'm sure there were some tremendous surprises, big debuts over in the East, you know, of the, of the, of the likes of a Brock Lesnar, a Hawk Hogan over there, but we didn't really get to feel those or see those in those moments because we didn't have that connection through social media outlets. Now with someone like Chris Jericho, you're right, Jericho, it got the entire wrestling world buzzing and it was OMG Jericho is in new Japan. I think, you know, that was really where he took himself into that next level of the true greats of Jericho's above it all. He goes where he wants, when he wants and does however the hell he wants to do it. And that was a huge moment. I think they resurrected Jericho a little bit because he was definitely floundering. You could say, oh, he's a WWF guy, but man, and, and I didn't really care for that Owens storyline. I know so many people liked it. Vince actually at one point apparently told Owens and Jericho they were going to main event WrestleMania. You knew deep down if you're a real fan, you know that's never in a million years ever going to happen. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Vince might have said it, but there wasn't any right, know, conviction right. behind it. Yeah, That was like when he told Taz, you're going to be feuding with The Undertaker. You're, you know he's just like working these guys and telling them what they want to hear. Because, of course, Taz wanted to work with The Undertaker. I mean, there's a million examples. Warlord and Hogan. Oh, you guys are going to have this big WrestleMania program. Yeah, you work some house shows, but well, that, you know what I mean? Like, the, but that's a Vince thing. He just lies to everybody. There or is another part of that. That could have been the main event of WrestleMania. If you remember, Kevin Owens was a universal champion at the time. It was going to right, be Chris Jericho versus Kevin Owens for the universal title, and then freaking Goldberg had to come back. But I feel like that was always a plan. I don't think that Vince I'm would with, ever I'm with Paz. I think in his yeah. mind, he, he knew. Yeah. That was the best story inside of the WWE that year. I did like that, and it was fun, but I'm just not into Owens at all. So, like, the end game for me, it's like, okay, if Jericho's shooting with somebody better, even like a Ziggler or, or somebody else that need like needed the up, you know, get the rub or whatever, or Miz or something, I just wasn't feeling uh, Owens. But it was a great story, and I did like Jericho and his reactions and everything like that. It's just funny. Like, Jericho's, like, even when he's dressed like a, like a rock star, like he's dressed nice, Owens in a ripped T-shirt and, like, um, parachute pants. You're just like... This guy's not a champion. He's not a star. He's not on the same level of Jericho. It's and he's pale and he, and he's overweight and he's not in shape and just not feeling. But anyway, let him get. Hey, guess, guess who's not coming on a two man power trip anytime <laughs> soon, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> okay, well, I was just going to say, well, maybe maybe we should knock out number 14 on my well, list. Kevin well, Owens debuts in NXT. <laughs> I, I did. I did want to ask you guys real quick back to Jericho in New Japan. Was that really a, a, the game changer in pro wrestling where it was, oh, we've really started to believe that people could go other places that they would go anywhere else but WWE? It was kind of Jericho kicking in the forbidden door. And yeah. New Japan was kind of hot. But if you remember, he makes a debut. Immediately, they sold 15,000 more tickets for, for the Wrestle Kingdom. So yeah, it's like, like 90,000 subs to New Japan World, which yeah, so, doubled their number. 
So not only did he help them who they were already hot, he like jumped them, made him even hotter. I feel like it turned his his career around too, because that was like, wow, this is a different Jericho. We're seeing something different. It's so cool that he's in New Japan, charged a little bit more money on the autograph scene too. You know, he did a bunch of different things and he parlayed that into into like saying, Hey, look, I'm a star. I could do this on my own. I don't need the WB. And obviously proved true. He doing great with Fozzie, doing great with his crews. I mean, there's a million things you can mention that he touches and turns into gold. AEW was was definitely, he was the reason kind of why there was so many people watching at first because a lot of people were like, I don't know anybody, but I know Jericho, I know Jim Ross. And then obviously now you bring in the other guys. But that New Japan thing, that was great because they could use, you know, that other main event guy, they could use that other star, they could use, you know, the 15,000 more tickets, obviously, for Wrestle Kingdom. But it was like, wow, that was so cool and so different. Like, where the hell else can Jericho pop up? Like, wow, I didn't expect that at all. That was really cool and quite a good surprise. Yeah, absolutely. You could you could have kind of put his AEW debut on there too, even though AEW wasn't necessarily a thing yet. And that's the show Rick and I were at for All In when, when he showed up as Penta, when he unmasked and we realized Chris Jericho was not only working for another promotion, Right. But it was in the United States. That was yep. also a huge freaking deal. Big surprise. Did not see that one coming. So, yeah, Kevin Owens, NXT, TakeOver, Our Evolution. How about that one, Paz? I thought that was a great debut. Didn't make my list. I'm sorry. Wow. Didn't make your <laughs> list. Come on. So he beats CJ Parker earlier in the night. And that's actually one of the better matches of Juice Robinson's career. And then the real moment is at the end of the night, after his boy Sammy Zayn, his best friend, finally captures the NXT championship. And then Owens just destroys him. I thought that was a fantastic debut. And once again, you know you have a main event player. It was just this time it was inside of the world of NXT. That's when NXT really started picking up steam for me. I enjoyed it. I almost wonder if the match earlier tonight took away from that moment at the close, you know, with, with the, the fireworks going off those two, the fight forever continuing on there between those two. Uh, absolutely. That was, that was kind of the end of me for NXT, to be honest. That's when I started to get not into it anymore okay. i know they br- until joe comes in and like knock more and that stuff but yeah that kind of turned me off a little bit to it to be honest uh, I, b- kevin owens though i think it was the, the bigger debut is when he showed up on the the main roster john with cena the nxt title one after john cena crazy that he beat him too it, hey, I mean, how much bigger do you get there you know we're talking yeah, that, about going that, after that was huge yeah we're talking about going after the top dog and that you're talking like a top five match from an athletic standpoint of John Cena's career. That, that, that's one of my favorite John Cena matches. All three of their matches were actually good. I mean, he could definitely, and I'm not, I'm not an Owens fan at all, Owens fan at all, but he could have some good matches. I liked all three of those matches, and the crowd was really into it because they really thought since Owens won the first one, like, wow, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna beat Cena again and again. So that was a nice little change up for Cena, who you know, Super Cena beat beat it ever beat everybody. So nice change up for him. You brought so up we're... you brought up Nakamura. Yeah. Uh Nakamura's yeah. debut also on my list. Once again, opposite of Sami Zayn getting his ass kicked yeah. at uh Takeover Dallas. And I think the anticipation everybody knew Nakamura was coming in. It was an advertised match. It's advertised for a takeover. Opposite of Sami Zayn, so you know that it's gonna be a really good match, especially at that point in Sami's career in NXT. And then that entrance hits. 
and it was just perfect. I mean, that the entrance music and the hype, everything just leading up to it, and then the match that followed. Nakamura, not high on my list, but on my list. Here's something new for a podcast. I was chewing on a piece of ice earlier, and my tooth felt weird. I just broke my tooth. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. There we well, go. shit. I think with the Nakamura in that moment, uh, it, yeah, it's there. People are excited. But I really think this is one that, as we look back at it, Jargo, that Nakamura has been just so uh, – is underutilized the word, so flat inside of the WWE universe that it's hard to, I mean, really get excited looking back at it. What about now, though? Boogie or whatever the hell his name is more over than he is. McAfee. Yeah. McAfee is more over than both of them. But he, but he's Mac, the one that he makes their him. entrance. But he loves. Him. Yeah. So let's talk another biggie. What about the Undertaker's debut Survivor Series 1990 WWF? That's got to be on there, no? Very high on my list. And if nothing else, the camera cuts to the petrified children in the audience. That's that what really made that debut for me. Uh, I think you pretty know, awesome, especially considering the gobbledygooker was such a flop. Right. Like you thought you would almost. And to me, and I remember as a fan thinking, because you looked at the magazines and you always saw like the blank thing on DiBiase's team, like who's it going to be? But they were promoting the gobbledygooker, like that surprise. So you're like, wow, that's going to be not the, I'm thinking who, but I'm thinking oh, that's going to be something really cool. It didn't think anything of DiBiase's team. Then it literally reversed. Gooker was embarrassing. DiBiase's team ended up being one of the all time greats. Sorry. Well, and with the Undertaker, though, I mean the imagery. Yeah, I mean that it had that low angled up camera where he was just so menacing, and, and he looked, seemed like he just towered over. And he did, uh, but you know they had that extra little oomph there from that shot and commentary. Gorilla and Piper, correct? I mean, it, yeah, those guys absolutely knocked it out of the park. Which you know, for those guys that have been around and seen it all, done it all. Inside the ring, outside the ring, you name it in every position. Those guys have been a part of it. And then for them to sit back and be in that awe of that situation, that moment, absolutely incredible. And it was, again, one of those times where I remember exactly where I was, who I was around, and what I was doing when The Undertaker made his debut there. And kind of rearranged Coco's neck a little bit, if you remember, with that tombstone. You know what? The Undertaker, though, was one of those first people and I, I don't think it, it, it like didn't bother me, but I did recognize who he was previously. It was one of the first times I remember that as a young really? fan. Wow. Uh, I remember looking at him and thinking, "Mean Mark." <laughs> Damn! Look at you. Did you, you think that it a, was the greatest debut of all time, though? Not the greatest. Looking, looking back, I've got it in my back. top ten. I, I, yeah, I, I probably have it up in my top five. But not the greatest. I still think, uh, as since we've already mentioned it here, I'm still going to give it to Little Brother. I think Kane's a little bit ahead. No, you're you're going to change your mind. Uh, Jargo, what do you? What else do you got? What What about Scott Hall? This see, this is a re-debut technically, but Scott Hall and WCW. Yeah, I I got really Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hollywood Hogan. I, the whole it was like three months worth of a debut because really the the scott hall debut while epic in itself was really the beginning of the nwo debut um it, it really for me 
that moment when Hogan is in the ring at Bash at the Beach and declares that the new world order, to me, that's a debut. That's a debut of a whole new act, the, the whole NWO. I mean, Hall, Nash, Hogan, all three of them, their de- individual debuts being fantastic, but the debut of the NWO act, I think, is absolutely towards the top of my list. I just kind of incorporate the whole package together. I see where you're going there. I, I, and I had mine list, just listed as the moment with Hall where the, the big bang that actually, you know, started that is it said that the snowball going. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's one of those moments. Uh, you can't, you can't call enough of your friends up. It, oh my God. You tur- you got to turn on, you got to turn on nitro. And you, you get to school the next day and almost everybody's buzzing about the damn thing. What the hell was razor Ramon? Uh, even before we know the Scott Hall thing or anything like that, what what is happening? I mean, the legitimacy of this thing is like, did WWF just actually show up on WCW television? Well, yeah, I mean, because he comes walking through the crowd and nobody knows what in the hell's going on. And he's just like, you know, kind of pushing people around, grabs a microphone, cuts his promo. And it's just like, oh, damn, that just happened. Well, it, it, think about, you know, it. it in those in those weeks too of the debut getting towards the nwo i mean it, it's it feels and it's so real that they have to go on television and address the situation no we don't work for that company uh it, it, that's that's how impactful it was in the business and, and people i mean that's what was that like the last great surprise in wrestling or uh, i guess i don't say swerve but i, I guess bit of kayfabe that we've seen Boy, that, that that is a good one. That is a good one. It's up there. They, that was awesome. They, they killed kayfabe <laughs> and brought it back, all kind of in, in the span of about three months. You gotta love it, Hall. I have very, very, very high up in my list. If you think about what it sets off too, like Jargo mentioned, that chain of emotions with Nash debuting, Hogan turning heel, the NWO changing the business, another boom period in wrestling, Hall debuting. If it wasn't him, I don't know if it would have worked as well. It was just perfect casting, perfect timing, perfect guys. Everything fell aligned. I mean, everything was perfectly done. Love that whole debut. And it was great that he came in through the crowd because you're like, what the hell? Razor Ramon walked through the crowd. What the, what the hell's going on? And then uh, literally in my, in my dumbass, you know, Mark mind at that point, I'm like, he's going to be feuding with Mikey. He knows what's going on here. You know, he's in, in, <laughs> he knows a dollar in there. So I'm like, no. I was like, no, it can't be. Because <laughs> Enos acts like, like what the hell? Because if you remember, he's like Parker has to like kind of get him. He's gonna stops. Yeah, yeah, he like stops. And it's like almost like okay, I think we're gonna have a fight here. But he doesn't know what to do. I was like, no, don't tell me. No, the the epic me. programs that could have been in wrestling <laughs> history. <laughs> Mike Enos, oh, Mike you want Enos. a war? You got it. Paul <laughs> is very high on my list. Another one very high on my list. WCW again. About Lex Luger's re-debut on Monday Nitro. Literally here, Vince couldn't get the guy over in three years, which is insane. Like, just give him the title. You could probably make him a heel if you wanted to. And still, whatever you're going to do with him, just give him the title and see what you have. I know you have Brett there too, but you got to go all the way with him. Start start and stop stuff. The the, um, count-out win at SummerSlam was embarrassing. I mean, come on. I think that was it. That was the the nail in the coffin. They tried to redo it when Borger got hot and then Luger beat him at Survivor Series and kind of keep it rolling. Didn't really work that well. It just it it, it wasn't uh, meant to be there. So literally in the span of two seconds, he shows up on Nitro. 
boom, main event, our huge star again. Bischoff got him over literally in two seconds, better than Vince could in two years. It's nuts, but awesome debut. And it also you lead to these great stories uh, that you hear from a lot of the WWF guys backstage, Michael Hayes and Lawler and guys that were saying like, Vince was literally like, what the hell is he doing there? How is Luger? Who's in charge of contracts around here? So pretty funny that that happened at that point. I think it was either Bruce Pritchard or J.J. Dillon that were in charge of contracts at that point. That might have been when J.J. might have been trying to work his way out of there or maybe wasn't paying attention or Bruce, somebody dropped the ball. But Luger debuting for WCW, I have very high on my list. It's crazy how often that happens. Like we, Weird. I mean, we just saw it with Alistair Black, right? Where it was like a contract yep. screw up, kind of fell through the cracks. It's like when you really look back over the course of WWF history, there's a lot of weird contract screw ups. Like it's weird how much that happens to that company. It's funny with the Adam Cole thing after the Malachi Black. Now they're like extra attention to Cole. I think his contract is up now, but now they know it's up. So either they're re- renegotiating with him or he's going to AEW with his wife or whatever. It, but now they're like overly paying attention to it after they screwed up, you know, a month ago or two months ago with Black. Yeah, it's, just, it's just crazy how poorly contracts seem to be handled inside of the world of professional what, wrestling. Yeah. In this Luger moment, it's really what changed the game when it comes to contracts in the pro wrestling on that level. When they really start looking, because I believe that Luger's contract had expired uh, a week or so before that, and he was still making the house shows on the handshake agreement. Yes. Uh, and they hadn't come up with anything. And then, boom, wow, you know, here he is in the Mall of America, the debut episode of Monday Nitro. Uh, absolutely. It, it, it's funny, you know, you talk about that disconnect because I had some buddies, man, they absolutely loved Luger inside of the WWF. But it, for whatever reason, for the mass appeal inside of sports entertainment, he just didn't have that connect. Uh, it, for whatever reason, it wasn't there. But the Narcissist Act, well, you know, he comes in kind of flat because you got the whole debacle with the World Bodybuilding Federation, how he's going to be the ambassador for this thing. Uh, the Narcissist Act <laughs> never really caught, you know, Although apparently that was really the way he was, apparently. Yeah, I mean that was going to be the, the whole game plan, and I think even inside, even inside of that, is because it was a contractual situation where he was unable to actually compete for the WWF, but he could go to the World Bodybuilding Federation, as long as the contract technically read he was under that umbrella, he was okay to appear on television because it was a co-promotion and all that. And then they transitioned to the narcissist. Uh, never really got any heat on himself there, but but man, yeah, when. I mean, you you felt those vibes of Hawkamania after one was the intrepid when he body slams Yokozuna, defends America. The whole Lex Express thing was was incredible. Great theme song. And, and then you go to damn SummerSlam. That way, they would have pulled that trigger there, put that belt on him, had that grand celebration of the new American hero. It could have been a much different story for Lex. But you have the uh, what was it, the countout win, and then you've got the streamers and the fireworks and the celebration. It's like, come on. And I think everybody just saw through it at that point. And he was dead in the water. And he was probably counting the days to get the hell out of there. He probably seen it himself. And you bring up Nitro. I mean, that might actually be the right answer to this question. Best wrestling debut Monday Nitro inside of the Mall of America. Um, I That really completely changed everything. I didn't even think about putting Nitro on my list, but I, I probably should have. There we go. I, I like it. You know what? That might that might sh- shoot up to the top of the list. That's why we talk these things out, ladies and gentlemen. So another big time 
debut that I thought was great. What about Big Show in the WWF when he comes up through the ring? Big nasty. Paul White, if you will, and interjects himself in that match with Austin and Vince in the cage at uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What, what about that one? That was a pretty damn cool one. Your bias is showing pause. I have Paul White on my list, but it's not his WWF debut. WCW? It's his WCW debut. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, when he debuted 1995, Halloween Havoc. How did he come into uh, WCW pause? Do you, do you remember how... The giant debuted no. in WCW, and you can't say dry humping a mummy. They thought he was um, Andre the Giant's son. He was had on Andre's old shirt. But but who? But who did he but, assault? Yeah, I, I forget. What, what what did he do that night? He uh, pinned Hollywood Hogan for the title. Oh, you're talking about? Oh, okay. That night de- one ring debut technically yes. wasn't his debut though. See, I again. I feel like it all goes together. Okay. All you, right. got, you got the debut and you've got the match, you know? What about I, when he had on the old Andre Giant shirt? Oh, yeah. And I Hogan mean, said it smelled like Andre, brother. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that? You get with Sullivan. Did he come up with that? <laughs> I, I love asking him about like certain things like that because it always he always puts it on Hogan. Creative control, brother. Creative control. Creative control. Dude, I see the oh the Andre. Mm, you smell like the giant. <laughs> You want to smell like WC- a giant? I'm more of a WCW guy though, than WWF, to be honest. But I just love the fact that the Giant just debuted in WWF. It's like, okay, that's a, another game changer. Jericho's a, a big one, too. But that was just like almost you could see the, the wheels falling off WCW. They're using, they're losing guys, but main event level guys that are younger. They're losing how, how those about, guys. How about Paul White's big debut this Sunday against QT Marshall? Oh, who, who just got pinned by one of the guns in ring debut in ring this makes no sense why horrible what a happening? waste of the big show why is this happening it's off waste in the big show all right another good debut to me just because it was shocking and crazy obviously the internet was kind of all over it even at this point infancy of the internet what about the radicals jumping to the wbf ben what was the wcw world heavyweight mm. champion him dean Eddie and Perry all jump. That that was to me the nail in the coffin. I know WCW wasn't doing well at that point, but you lose those four guys who are going to be the pillars, I think, in the main eventers for them going forward. Who were the mid carters to upper mid carters, like working their way up kind of thing, and they were so synonymous with WCW, and they were so synonymous with having good matches and having those crowds just fall in love with WCW, saying like, "All right, but WCW has a great undercard." Well, when those guys go to WF, WF has a great everything. So, I mean, that that was a killer. WCW still had some good talent, but that was a real nail in the coffin. And I think the biggest thing was what it symbolized inside of the pro wrestling world to the fans. Like, I think that kind of felt like the death blow to WCW. They, like, regardless of who the talents were, just seeing a big group of talent like that all come in at the same time, it was just like yeah wcw is done but we just knew right then and there yep yeah that that sucked what about hogan's debut in wcw back in the day what about him coming into uh mgm and and disney or whatever (laughs) universal he's he's having mgm he's having the uh the parade and everybody gets a ticker tap parade you know that's pretty damn rare i I put that on my list just because i thought that was awesome that he's getting a parade at MGM because he's Hulk Hogan and everyone's like, yeah, he's here in WCW. So um, over the top. 
Oh, it was ridiculous. It's Sully it, hated it. Sullivan hated it. It, it. it comes across like a bad 70s B movie that's like it's just, it's so campy. Well, if if you're Sullivan, you're used to that Southern style, what you know, the NWA, the territories, what WCW stood for, and now immediately because you've got Hawk Hogan, who happens to just be a short drive away, that's why it takes a damn deal for all this all this money. Uh, it comes in and immediately turns you into rock and wrestling sports entertainment. I imagine it was a complete shock for for many of them, especially the people that are trying to keep you know steer this ship. I, I have a Hogan debut, uh, but not anything to do uh, modern times. I want to go all the way back to uh, what was it eight eighty four when uh, the immortal the uh, Hulk Hogan returns to the WWF, saving like Bob it. saving Bob Backlund. Yes, I like it. A little foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and what I what I particularly liked about this thing is. I don't, I don't know how it got lost. It, it, it they could figure it out in 1984. They can't figure it out in 2021 about logic in their storytelling. How you have Backlund take the time to explain to the audience because they're appreciating their audience's intelligence to say, "Hey, we know the last time you saw him on our product, he was a bad guy, but he's gone and changed. Backlund's endorsing him. I personally have talked to him. He has come back. He is on the side of good." They take the time to explain something like that. Nowadays, they would pretend that no one in the world has heard of Hulk Hogan, who, who, even though he's been in their own company, that he's been in Rocky movies, that, that he was on top of the world in the AWA. But now that they take the time to explain it there, and that crowd loved it. I mean, it, it was got a tremendous ovation. He's coming right back into the top. And they're, as you said, they're setting him up to become the, immediately the top guy. Never bought it. Bobby Heenan was right. So that Hogan one is great in WWF because, I mean, talking about setting off an era, boom, does he set off a, a gigantic era, the Hogan era, if you will, which will be discussed in detail in further episodes on the TMPT feed as we go into the Hogan era. going to be a new show. Let's pay attention to that. But with Hogan and WWF, I mean, that's awesome. That was a great re-debut, if you will, because obviously he was there before, even though Vince Sr. was kind of in command then, but he was there before. So think about Hogan. We mentioned him a few times. What about his good old buddy, Eric Bischoff, when he debuts in the WWF? Did that make your list? I, I didn't put it on my list because it's Bischoff. Because um, I, I was... I, Bischoff. Well, I, and I say that because I was thinking more about in-ring talent. Gotcha. But Bischoff, when he showed up inside of the WWF, I mean, that's one that nobody saw that coming. I mean, it was just... That was like a kick in the balls. Whether you were a WWF fan and now you had to deal with Eric Bischoff on your programming, or if you were a WCW fan and now Eric Bischoff had jumped ship. Like no, no matter who you were, that was a real kick in the balls. It was so well done. It was that, great. It was a, this is attributed a year late, but it was great. Attributed yeah. to uh also, man, that, that damn entrance music is some of the best in all the history of professional wrestling. Uh, it's just so smug and arrogant. It, it over, you know, so conceited and cocky, just like the the persona itself that is Eric Bischoff, and it, it just fits perfect. And it's, I, I guarantee you, gentlemen, anyone listening to us, that that song's going to be stuck in your head for days to come. Now, Dick, I love that song. What about Taz? 
his WWF debut. I was there for it live at the Garden Royal Rumble. That that was intense. That was awesome. Royal they didn't Rumble really follow 2000. up with it any well, anything very well. But Royal Rumble 2000, Taz's debut. What do you think about that? Is that up there? It, it's absolutely up there. Um, of course, I was a, a pretty big Taz fan to begin with, and and to see him on that stage in New York to get that kind of pop, the CM Punk pop, as we want to call it now, right? Mm-hmm. The, the that hometown pop. Unfortunately, that was kind of the beginning and the end of Taz's WWF run. Yep. Man, so just it, think if they would have went with him then. If they would have actually gotten behind Taz, Taz could have been a huge star. And Taz was one of those guys I know in the stature, but he made you believe. He was he felt yeah. legit. And you know, I use it with our guys <laughs> that are heavyweights, but they might not, you know, they're six foot, six one. And I, and I describe him as, you ain't got to be the biggest guy. So you still sell yourself as that badass. You're a powder keg, dude. You're ready to explode, and it is going to leave a creator like you would not believe. That was Taz. And you absolutely believe that Taz could have gone in there and hung with any of those big dudes because he was just so vicious. I well, mean, he, he was, was short, but I still say he was probably 240, though. He was like, oh, yeah. he was jacked. Wide. Yeah, he's wide, boy. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, but as that powder keg, I mean, that explosion with those suplexes, you know, he wasn't trying to do anything else. He just said he was a fighter. And you believe that. You absolutely believed it. And it, it's a shame. I know there was at some point there was like some injuries that caught up with him. But hey, you know, a uh, hat tip to Tanzo, instead of just, you know, p- kind of packing his bags and going home, he transitions into a, a great color role and, and had maybe not in ring, but had a great run with the company. And it's yeah. still today is, you know, one of the more respected names in the business on his opinions and everything like that. And he made himself stay relevant inside of professional wrestling. I got one for you, Pius. I know what it is. Speaking of Taz, how about one that he was on the other side of the ring for October 5th, 1993, the debut of Sabu in ECW. He comes out in the, the full on mask and on the gurney and 911 wheeling him out, man. And then you saw Sabu wrestling. It was like, oh my Christ, what is wrong with this guy? That it set off ECW for years to come. I feel like there's a bunch of cool ECW debuts, right? Just like uh, randomly, like when Hall shows up or Sid or Jerry. Lawler I've got, I've got my personal, my personal oh. favorite comes from ECW, uh, and that is the birth of the term smart. <laughs> the smart marks when Brian Pillman shows up and just Another lights up. Yep. The ECW audience, man, that is absolutely incredible. Anyone that hasn't seen that, Pillman debuting in ECW, you got Joey Styles, and I mean, he's threatening everybody. I think, I think at one point he's threatening to shoot people. <laughs> franchise comes out to try to run him out. I mean, it, it was absolutely intense. If you were the, you know, they really thought he was going to piss in the ring. Remember when he unzipped his fly? Or whatever? They yeah, really thought he, they thought he was going to really do. It. He's nuts, man. Uh, how the, did we? When we were doing the best pop, how did we miss the one when Raven came to save Dreamer? Ooh. The lights go off, lights come on. Oh my god! Yeah, I had the Sandman in there, but I forgot about that one. But yeah, I, to, to go to truly appreciate the magnificent madness that was Brian Pillman it is all summed up in his ECW debut. Heyman really had a thing for writing great debuts. As you say that, and I stop and think about all the great ones in ECW, Heyman was really good at that. Yes. 
Rick Rude. Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's, there's so many go on and on. You did a bunch. What about AJ Styles and WBF at the Royal Rumble? Did that make the list? AJ Styles, at, he is one guy that made my list twice. Uh, this is the lower one of the two. The 2016 Royal Rumble, when he debuted, nobody saw it coming, right? Like we we were all kind of yeah. We, we we just assumed we that AJ didn't think was, they would sign him. Yep. No. They, or he go to NXT. Alone, yep. Yeah, and yeah, if, exactly. If he did, he's going to NXT, and like nobody really thought about it. And then you hear this crazy music that you're not familiar with and out walks AJ Styles and then it was like oh my god are people actually going to know who he is and the place pops like crazy he goes out there number two in the rumble I still think they should have just had him run it I agree that was kind of weird he just got thrown out like just unceremoniously out of nowhere you know Playing into that rain pop, do it too you gotta have rain throw him out too pop, you know, playing into that pop and that moment and, you know, especially at this point, we're so conditioned that you have to go through NXT and by circumstance that they need him there. But even it, it takes a moment for it to settle in that what's really happening because the, the music's unfamiliar. And then it's like, holy shit, that's AJ. Uh, again, a moment you remember where you were, who you were with, what the environment was. Uh, and I think what helped that situation is because we hadn't had anything like that in so long in pro wrestling. Right. Very true. Very yeah. true. How about April 6, 2014, when AJ Styles debuts for New Japan Pro Wrestling, takes awesome. over the Bullet Club, lays out yep. Kazuchika Okada, night yep. one, challenges Okada for the belt. That, to me, number one, it was awesome, right? Like, it, just the whole visual of it, AJ joining the Bullet Club. It, it's really cool if you've never seen it. But the chain of events that starts after AJ Styles debuts for New Japan Pro Wrestling and how that would shape the professional wrestling landscape for the next seven years has been incredible. Like hindsight 2020, that debut really set off this entire kind of chain of events with New Japan getting really, really hot in the United States. Yep. AJ was kind of the beginning of that. He really did set it off. He was the guy. And people always talk about Bullet Club and that shirt. When he joined and they started, you know, really selling those shirts, it's because of him and that era of the Bullet Club. That was the best. The Finn Balor Bullet Club's not that popular. Kenny Omega won and was like, eh, kind of floundered a bit. That era with him was the best. No doubt about it. You come in and take out Okada night one. The company the has title, big yeah. expectations for you. And it was a shocker he won the title. And it was funny. It's like, wow, I wonder how he'll be in this role as this kind of like badass, cocky heel, a little bit different than what he pl has played in years. And then he's going to be a leader on top of it. Let's see. And he was awesome. He knocked it out of the park. Unbelievable run there. A completely different world and role, as you said, Pops, for AJ and killed it. What about staying in the WBF? Does he make that list? I guess so. <laughs> you know they, they I, ruined it though yeah i think yeah, it was one... it, i think i just have such a bitter taste in my mouth that i can't even look back on that bitching debut fondly i think you know where we're looking at punk where it's seven years you're wanting it you're wanting it you're wanting it this is a case where it was the same situation with sting for a given amount of time but that shelf life expired and then even in in the waiting it came too late it was cool it was a very cool moment, 
Yeah, how did he not face the Undertaker? Yeah, I just missed missed opportunities there. If it would have happened when he went to TNA, if he would have come into the WWE then, I think we might have felt differently about it. Who else is on the list here, Jargo? Um, I've got a couple other ones on my list. Uh, Finn Balor, the 2016 when he made his debut on Monday Night Raw, night one, he comes in, wins a four-way, defeats Rusev, Cesaro, and Kevin Owens, and then later on in the show in the main event, oh, yeah, he pins Roman Reigns clean in the middle of the ring. Um, I thought that was an incredible debut. Of course, he goes on to SummerSlam and wins the Universal Championship, and then he's gone for a year because, you know, he ends up getting hurt. But as far as the debut goes, they were full in on Finn Balor. I've got him on my list. Kazuchika Okada, January 4th, 2012, defeats Yoshihashi when he makes his re-debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling, comes out at the end of the night, challenges Hiroshi Tanahashi to a title, and New Japan is off and running for the next decade of their booking. Um, Got that one on the list. Um, Shields, Survivor Series 2012, got that one on my list. Of course, we would come out with three main eventers after the Shields debut. Um, probably the, the craziest one that I have on my list that we haven't talked about. We should have talked about this one with the gobbledygooker, because this is what we all expected from the gobbledygooker, right? Do you remember way back WCW worldwide, August 24th, when Sting got a present and popping up out of the box, Abdullah the Butcher. I was terrified of Abdullah the Butcher. He might be the first pro wrestler that I was ever like, I ain't messing with that guy. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the box, the present that works. Because uh, you've seen someone like Abdullah coming out of a big egg. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know well, I mean, but it's like, that's what we were expecting. Like, we thought it was going to be something really, really cool with the gobbledygooker. And instead, we got the gobbledygooker. WCW does it. You get Abdullah the freaking Butcher. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I got a few here. Uh, this, this debut was so intense that someone lost their job, the Nexus? Yeah, I do have the Nexus on my list as well. There's still one big one that I'm surprised that we haven't talked well, about I was yet. I going to say here, uh, I've got Ruthless Aggression, John Cena debut. Ruthless Aggression? Like, how is that not a top five debut? Uh, and you look, you look at what that started. <laughs> June 27th, 2002. Paz is probably uh, wanting us not to mention that because, you know, arguably Cena goes on and becomes the biggest star ever in the business over his boy Hogan. Uh, but, yeah, it all starts there. I've got Ruth Aggression and the whole setup to that, too. You talk about going out there with one of the top stars. Kurt Angle plays in perfectly to set this thing up. Here comes the, the young upstart. Cena's out there. He's hungry for it. And, you know, from what we know, I mean, that's that was Cena. Uh, he, when he was going to OVW, um, you know, they had called and said, Hey, you know, we we're going to help you guys get assistance with apartments and, and cars and all this. And he's I already did all that. I mean, he was ready to go. He was hungry for it. Uh, this is what he wanted when he got his feet in OVW It was off and running. And this was the day debut on the, the grander scale to the, to the universe. Well, and, and very similar, not quite all the pizzazz, not quite all the memorable moments, but you know, when you saw John Cena in that ring with Kurt Angle, you knew John Cena was going to be a player right going forward march 18th 2002 brock lesnar debuts uh and literally the second you saw brock lesnar you were like oh this freaking guy is gonna be big he walks out and they immediately dub him the next big thing yeah uh months later he's the king of the ring and he's beating the rock yeah 
What about The Rock in the WWF Survivor Series? Another show I was <laughs> at, Survivor Series 96. What about Rocky? You know, there's a lot of things that The Rock can take credit for over the course of his pro wrestling career. The greatest pro wrestling debut? Uh-uh. Yeah. Not one of them. <laughs> That's right up there with his movie debuts. <laughs> what about... He's, he's what be not, bragging about Tooth Fairy. <laughs> what about something me and Kevin Sullivan just talked about? What about the Ultimate Warriors debut in WCW? I feel like that's kind of like the Sting WWE thing. The only thing that I that I said was such a success about it was crazy. The rating that night when WBF was basically with the Highway to Hell, Steve Austin, ever they're dominating. The rating flips four point nine for WCW, four point two for Raw. So Warrior destroyed Austin like for a few weeks. It's like shocking that you would be like, "Wow, Warrior!" I forget about it. Bigger draw than Austin, like TV rating why nostalgia man nostalgia i remember that nostalgia yep but it it quickly it quickly faded you could i remember watching at that time you know it was a week or so in and you're like just say this just isn't the warrior what about my favorite debut or really re-debut but technically i guess nwa doesn't count but favorite debut roddy piper havoc 96 with hogan i just i love that promo is so good. I just, I just love that, especially because you think the pay per view is over. You hear the bagpipes. You you see him come down. And he goes, "So you're bored, are you?" <laughs> I've been <laughs> it's so good. I've been going back and watching some of his work at that time in that in that program. Just going and watching the his interviews, his mic work. You just forget it, and you, maybe just take for granted how damn good he was, man. He goes out there and he absolutely owns it, no matter who he's in there with. Very much agreed. I've got, I've got anything else. I've got one more for you, Paz, that I know that you are a big fan of, and you're going to kick yourself for not having them on the mm. list. Mm. Take over Brooklyn three, 2017, Adam Cole, baby. No. <laughs> Wanted to save that one just for the end, just for Paz. Rick, did we miss anything? Uh, I'm up, up. Let's go to the, uh, the, the final verdict. All right, Rick, you're up. All right, the uh, the swerve is in. We had some good arguments. Uh, I was leaning towards, you know, you got the Jericho, the Kane. Man, I really like that Nitro. I, I mean, that was a game changer in all of professional wrestling. And maybe that is a debut that people would overlook. But it absolutely changed the landscape of professional wrestling. But for the greatest debut ever, I'm going to go with the Shockmaster. Whoa, nice. I totally agree. <laughs> That one will live on forever, my friends. We will be talking about that forever. Have you ever seen that figure? Mm-mm. They made a, a, a toy, a dollar figure, whatever you want to call it. It's in the box. He's upside down. Oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> yep. I, awesome. I thought maybe I thought maybe they had like the action playset, <laughs> and it's worth a lot of money. Like he has a bunch of them, and he signs mm-hmm. it for you. Whatever. I mean, it's worth money. So That's I mean, he's crazy. he's laughing all the way to the bank about it. Oh, that's just fantastic. You know, a great worker in his own right, and he did so much. But to be able to sit back and laugh at something like that, and he'll live on yeah. in wrestling history forever simply because of that. You know, even outside of the trip, man, have you ever talked to Sullivan about who the, who the hell designed that outfit? So that's what got Sullivan. We're, we're going to get the bedazzle gun in a Stormtrooper helmet and put it on a pro wrestler? That's how Sullivan actually got his job. <laughs> Literally the day after Bischoff called him and said, listen, I need you to come in. You need to take over. <laughs> oh, that's great. Who, who had it? Who had it before Ole, that? Holy, Holy Anderson. 
Okay, you know what? That that seems like an Oli move. So Jargo, who's the best debut? Man, I'm really, really torn on this one between Kane and Jericho at one and two, yep. but I'm gonna go Jericho one, Kane two. That was me too, and I was thinking Hall, and I was thinking Undertaker. I mean, they're definitely up there, but I kept coming back to man, that Kane debut was so awesome. Jericho going back and forth, but I'm gonna stick with what you did. I'll go Jericho. I think uh, that debut was absolutely epic, so I'm gonna have to go there. But Kane is definitely second. That was when I first was thinking about this debut. Obviously, the punk because we were talking about it, it came up, but Kane and Jericho were like the first few that I thought of. So Jericho looks like he's going to win this one. I don't know if he'll win it on Twitter, but let's see. You know, here between us, he, he wins this week as far as the best debut back in 1999, the summer of 99, the summer of Jericho, the Millennium Man debut. Why you better put Shockmaster on that poll? Oh, he'll, he'll be on there. <laughs> Can, can Punk elevate himself up this pole if him and Darby go out there and just tear the house down on Sunday night? Sure. What? Here, here's a quick one here. As everybody's looking forward to uh, AEW getting geared up for the, the big Labor Day weekend. How big will the Daniel Bryan debut if we get a Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson? Oh, two questions. How big will that debut be? And what is the over-under on poor JR? Not knowing the name. Who debuts first? Oh, boy. Brian Danielson or Adam Cole? I would probably throw Cole out there because I think it would be more shocking if he debuted first. I would put Cole out there first, too. I would save Brian for New York. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I don't know why. I was just reading a report, the same report from the guys that were saying that Punk was debuting. So, I mean, the guy obviously has some inside information, but he was saying Danielson is debuting after the main event on all out, I guess to confront Kenny Omega after he beats Christian, but I don't even know if that's going to be the main event. I would put punk uh, punk on last. There's no way I would put anything on after punk and Darby. And I was, this is is one of those exceptions to the rule. Yeah. And I wouldn't put punk or have Danielson debut on punk's card either. That means it's almost too big and it's too punk centric to do that. Unless he's taken out punk. Right. Which would be insane. Yep. So let's, that, that would be a hell of a way to go off the air. Yeah, Brian get in there and just hit him with a loaded running double drop kick. And then he stands up and Adam Cole super kicks Brian Danielson. Man, you, you get that. No. Adam Cole should be nowhere near those two right now. Uh, I, I'm closer to putting Cole on dark than in a program with those two. Have you seen a lot of the memes out there about Cole? No. Uh, little bit good, yeah. Put his, put his head on it. Um, the, and then the, Britt's the, like the bigger person, yeah, like the adult, the big oh person, the normal sized person. Britt is the normal, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I think it's Ben and I talked about it Monday in the locker room. I, I, I agree with him here. I think it's a matter of time. I think there's a short shelf life with Adam Cole inside AEW before he's exposed by that size factor. Everybody, I, he he'd be way more exposed on the WWE main roster than he will. Yeah, be I on think AEW. so too, especially with Cross and all these other guys. Keith, well, I mean, he was Roman. an team with these guys, but it'll be more obvious, I think, in WWE, yeah. unless AEW keeps signing big guys. I don't know. They, they for a while they were I, obsessed with signing big guys, but we'll see. I'm just picturing him even against like Miro or. I my thing is put Miro against Kenny, and you'll feel the same way again about Kenny. Yeah. But I think Britt is actually talk, uh, taller than Adam Cole. I mean, 
not by much, but it seems like she's because she's kind of tall for with heels for a woman, and he's pretty. You and yeah, and he and he's pretty short for a guy. So I don't know. We'll see. But as far as this show, Jericho wins again. Jericho wins for all intents and purposes. We'll see on Twitter who wins as well. Please, everybody, get out there and vote. But let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com, and of course Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/tmptempire. Jargo, what do you got? Too much crap to plug, so just find me across social media at not Jargo. I'll try to keep you updated there. Pod whore Jargo. <laughs> Pretty much. Right, hey, uh, for, for, me, uh, for me, just like to invite everyone to head on over to Facebook, facebook.com backslash Professional Wrestling Alliance. Keep up with uh, everything I got going on with my new promotion, the Pro Wrestling Alliance. We just launched yesterday our next event, Saturday, October 16th, coming to the west side of Cincinnati, Elks, Elks Lodge, number five. Hey, uh, you know what happens when you're one of the great American food foodie influencers and you happen to promote pro, pro wrestling? You uh, you bring food trucks and wrestling, FTW, baby. Uh, that's what we're looking forward to. Again, that is Facebook.com backslash Professional Wrestling Alliance. Just make sure you don't do any of your flyers in orange. Taz will ask for royalties. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Jarko. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for a little Who Is? See you next this has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.